Good morning, Arbor. Glad to have you with us today. My name is Scott Hetherington. I'm a member here at Arbor, and I'm part of the speaking team at Arbor Church as well. We welcome you with us. If this is your first time, we're glad you're here. Make sure you fill out one of those online connection cards, and we'd love to get in touch with you. We're continuing our series on worship today, and I'm going to focus on cleansing the temple. Well, today, I'd like to examine how worship is about the cleansing, healing power of Jesus. We're going to read about when Jesus actually flipped over some tables. He, he fashioned a whip of cords. He drove a bunch of animals out the temple. And then he rebuked the leaders there that were taking advantage of people coming there to worship. There are actually two occasions that Jesus does this of cleansing of the temple. One is at the beginning of his ministry. One is at the end of his ministry. And both happen during the Passover season. But even though they're two different instances, there's a common theme and message of both of them that I hope that we can get to today. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I know that right now it's a busy time and stressful time for many of us, God. I pray that you would calm me and move me out of the way and that you would speak through me, Lord. I pray that you would give us ears that want to hear, hearts that want to listen, and feet that want to put into action what we learn from you today, Lord. In your name, amen. Many of you may have heard the saying, cleanliness is next to godliness. It's an old saying, and maybe you live by that. I'm a clean freak. I wouldn't say I'm a germaphobe, but I'm a clean person. You can even ask my kids. It drives them crazy. One of the areas that I'm the most picky about keeping clean is the kitchen. I cannot stand dirty dishes sitting around, even on the counter or in the sink. They either belong one of two places, the dishwasher, getting ready to get cleaned, or in the cabinets already cleaned. They don't need to be sitting around. Only the actually only the only thing I don't mind leaving sitting out is a glass, because I'll use it all day long. You don't need to keep getting a new one out. I remember in college, my roommates were very pick, were, were not very good about this rule. And it drove me crazy. In fact, one time I got so fed up with finding dishes everywhere, bedrooms, living room, kitchen table, in the shower. I had a roommate that would leave plates in the shower because that's where he ate his burrito. I don't know. Figure it out for yourself. I got so frustrated one night when I came home and they were all gone, I gathered all the dishes out and kept out one of everything for myself and hid them in one of my dresser drawers and threw all the other dishes in a box in the dumpster. Needless to say, they were not happy. And for a short while, my point and message carried some gravity and they actually kept the place clean, but eventually they just slipped right back into the sloppy pigs that they were and dishes laying everywhere. And I just got used to living with it for a while. I share that story with you because cleanliness to all of us means something different. And I hope that today, when we look at cleansliness in the light of godliness, we're going to see what Jesus means by cleanliness and why it's so important to him. My hope today is that we can understand the intense desire Jesus had for his father's earthly temple to be pure and a place of worship. But that if he felt that intently about his earthly temple, how much more he feels today about our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit to be pure, clean, and full of holy worship. 
As I told you, both these instances that Jesus cleansed the temple take place during the Passover celebration. Quick background on the Passover, all right? It's a celebration of when the Jews were released and escaped Egypt after 100 years of being enslaved. After many decades of slavery to the Egyptians, where they had been building, all right, pyramids and other things for them, they had been subjected to backbreaking labor and undesirable horrors, God saw people in distress and sent Moses to Pharaoh to say, let my people go so they may return to me to worship. Pharaoh continued to capitulate back and forth. Yes, no, yes, no. Each time God sent a different plague into Egypt to convince Pharaoh to say yes, then say no again. After nine times, Jesus sent in the 10th plague. Where at midnight of the 10th plague, he killed the firstborn of all the Egyptians. But he had told the Israelites before this that if you were to sacrifice a lamb and put blood around the frame of your doors, I will pass over you and spare your children. And God spared the children of the Israelites. That is why they call it the Passover. And the Israelites were finally told to leave. Pharaoh chased them out of Egypt and they left. That's significant because with a Passover is going to tie back into what we share later. The first cleansing of the temple that we're going to look at takes place at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He had not yet become popular and was not known. He had just begun by calling the 12 disciples and some other followers. In fact, he had just performed his very first miracle by turning water into wine at a wedding per his mother's prompting and request. Upon leaving the wedding, they made their way to Jerusalem, and when arriving at Jerusalem, they visited the temple. At this time, the disciples were still following and figuring out who Jesus was and trying to understand what he was about. And they were about to see a side of Jesus that was surprising to them and open up another layer of what Jesus was trying to teach them. Let's pick the story up in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all of them out of the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. I imagine it's quite a startling picture. I don't know if you've ever been, in, been anywhere where somebody flipped the table over. Uh, we used to do poker nights with some of my guy friends, and we had this real big poker night going on one night, and a lot of money was in the middle of the table. And, man, this guy thought he was going to win, and he was so intense, and he went all in, and he lost. I forget what he got drawn on the river, and he lost. He got so angry, he standing up, he went to hit the table and unintentionally flipped it. And chips went flying everywhere. Money was everywhere. Um, beverages were spilling. It was not a good evening to the poker night. But I remember how startling that was. And I imagine that for people in the temple, how startling this was. And they're thinking, why? And his disciples there are going, holy cow, what is Jesus doing? Well, let's get some context here. Why did he drive these people out? What was happening? See, 
There was a tradition of people traveling to visit during the Passover. When they got to the temple, they needed animals to sacrifice so they could buy animals at the temple. Originally outside the temple, then inside the temple courts. But they needed to use Jewish currency, so they had to exchange Roman currency or whatever their country's currency was for Jewish currency to buy the animals. And this had become quite the market scheme. They would ratchet up the rate exchange. They would charge more for the animals than they should. And it become a profit business rather than a praise and worship of what the temple was intended. So that's the context of what we're finding. And really, there's really nothing wrong with selling animals or operating a legitimate money exchange. But according to Jesus, these particular vendors were called a den of robbers. All right? And they had undoubtedly taken advantage of the people that were coming there for worship. So notice in verse 17, what I want to focus in on, while all this is going on, the disciples look at one another and they go, oh, and they go back to this verse in Psalm 69. They say, it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. It's interesting they use this word zeal for Jesus right now. Zeal is this word that means fervor intensity, a deep passion, a devotion, like this fire, um, a readiness for action towards a cause or a purpose. And right there in that moment, they use this word zeal for Jesus. It meant that he was infused and filled with a great zeal for the concern for the pure worship of God. It was not necessarily the selling of animals and the exchange of money that made Jesus angry. It was that they were hindering the intent of the temple to be used as a place of praise and worship. And what he saw as taking advantage of people and hindering the true intent of the worship angered him righteously. And so he drove them out to restore the true intent of what the earthly temple was there for. Praise and worship, healing and cleansing, of people with God. In Jesus, this was the great commanding purpose of his life, to bring honor and worship to the Father. It should be the same with us, and in this manifestation of his zeal, he began this journey for the next three years that was at the core and center of his ministry, a zeal for cleansing, healing, and rescuing people so they could enter into pure worship of God his Father. See, the Jews had made the mistake of allowing the temple to become a marketplace, a business place. It had become mundane. It became a place of piety and hypocrisy. And as we think of this, I want us to begin to make a connection of how we may have done that with what is our temple, the body of Christ. In this passage, we see Jesus' righteous anger towards anything that would hinder or interfere with worshiping his Father. He's telling his followers, and he's telling us today, that to follow me is to focus your worship on my Father. And I desire your worship so much that I will cleanse you through the sacrifice of my body, the shedding of my blood. I will do whatever it takes to cleanse you and rid you of anything that interferes with that. I wonder if we truly understand and comprehend this zeal Jesus has for us. The zeal for us to be fully cleansed. And not because he thinks we're some dirty, filthy people, but he knows that once we're cleansed, we can enter into this amazing worship and praise of a God that loves us.
God is so consumed with nothing hindering us from entering full worship that he will go to whatever means necessary to get our attention if that means flipping over tables in our lives to make sure we are entering into pure holy worship of his Father. Let's fast forward now. Three years later, the disciples, it's, it's interesting this is a beginning and end, the bookends of his ministry. And by now, three years later, the disciples have traveled with him. They've seen him do miracles. They've seen him share parables. They've been confounded and mystified by some things. They've been inspired and excited about other things. So we go to this third year of ministry. It's actually during the last week of Jesus' life. So this first time could have been during the first week of his ministry. This could be in the, this is in the last week of his ministry, again, during Passover. The sun rises on this Monday morning. The previous day, on a Sunday, he had traveled from Bethany, a little town about a mile and a half outside of Jerusalem. He had traveled to Jerusalem on the Sunday and his disciples had been sent in to get a donkey and he'd ridden in on this donkey cloaked in red carpet in front of people and they had lined the streets with palm leaves and they had raised him in there and they had shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, King, Son of David. And they had praised him as the Messianic King, the Messiah. But this Monday morning would be much different. He gets up this Monday morning and walks into Jerusalem and it says from a distance he looked over and cried and said, Oh, Jerusalem. And once again, he enters and he visits the temple. Let's pick up the story in Matthew 21, 12 through 16 and notice some of the similarities. In verse 12, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it, here it is again, a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came into him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They're shouting. They're praising him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you not read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? Why did, did, why did Jesus drive them out again? We've already established that. Once again, the same practices that he saw at the beginning of his ministry had taken root and didn't change and were continuing on. A little bit of connection here. God will continue to revisit the temple as often as he needs to, to make sure we're not just cleansing it for his own good and then going back to what we were doing before. He wants that consistency cleansing within us. Notice that immediately after driving out the money changers in this passage, though, all right, two things happened that we didn't see in the first passage. Two things happened. One, the lame and the blind came to Jesus in the temple for healing. Two, children began praising him, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. By the cleansing out of the temple, he was able to restore the true purpose and intent of the temple, which was to bring healing and salvation to the sick and the lost, and to bring glory to his father and himself through prayer and worship. In fact, he says in that verse, if we look at it, he goes <clears throat> right in the middle here, he says in verse 14, 
Um, my house is to be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. In other words, the behavior you're doing now is stealing, robbing the intent of why you built this earthly temple. He's trying to get the Jews to recognize that you have built this temple, you have built this religion, you have built this picture and expectation of the Messiah and how to live your life, but inside you're dirty. Kind of like Jesse shared with us last week. They had become so consumed with getting clean, they didn't realize to go out and live a clean life was to live the joyful, worshipful life Jesus was calling to. And they kept putting things into their life that hindered them and blocked them from doing that. Remember that this was the last week of Jesus' life and ministry on earth. He felt this urgency. He was setting the stage for his disciples and followers to be left without him. And there's a bigger message here that he was trying to get to them. If you read these passages further, when, he confronts, when he's confronted by the Pharisees, he says to them about the temple that it will fall down and be destroyed. And they said, what are you talking about? He says, tear this temple down and I will build it back up again in three days. And they thought he was talking about the giant temple in Jerusalem. But in that message of what he was saying is, tear this temple down, me, Jesus, down, and I will build it up again in three days. He's shifting the paradigm that he is less worried about the earthly temple, that the earthly temple they built than the heavenly temple that God gave us in a body that God created. <clears throat> we find in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, exactly what Jesus is trying to tell us. And this is the biggest thing I want to take away from these, these two instances. Let's read in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 about what we can learn from all of this. All right. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, Honor God with your bodies. What should we learn? The biggest thing I want you to take away today is this. We are the temple. We are now the temple of residing the Holy Spirit here on earth. And with that comes this amazing opportunity of being in worship, in unity, and relationship with Christ that he is always there to heal us and, and save us and forgive us and build into us this, this relationship that he longs to have with us. But too often we don't view our temple and the Holy Spirit residing in us in that way. We get locked into tradition and ritual and routine and we lose the heart and passion of what was meant for it. I talked about that a few weeks ago. We have truth but no spirit or maybe too much spirit and no truth. But what God is reminding us is, Christians, you are the temple. Take care of it. Make sure your temple stays clean. Make sure your temple is about the right thing. Make sure your temple of belief is not about your own gain. Make sure the temple of your actions is not about taking advantage of others. Make sure that the temple of you is about worshiping and living a holy life for God. Think about this. Immediately after Jesus dealt with the opportunist, he became a magnet for the very ones with whom others had taken advantage of. It may be that when we take a courageous stand in our own life and we ensure that we're going to let God come cleanse us 
and our own lives, our own temples, to remove whatever is hindering our own pure worship of him, what might we be drawn to or who might be drawn to us that we can be used by him? I don't know what tables you've set up in your temple in your life. I don't know what systems you've created or routines you've set up that are hindering you not having time with God. But maybe it's time you took a, a look at your own temple and saw what maybe Jesus has seen. See, what had become customary and normal to Jews going to temple in Jesus' eyes was far from customary and normal. It's interesting in this time of COVID how we say this is the new normal. Wearing a mask, social distancing, fewer people in restaurants, washing our hands, sanitizing. I understand what people say about that, but I sure hope that's not the new normal. Because I remember what life was like before, what life was intended to be like with, before all of this. I understand why we're doing all that right now for the safety, but don't you know, don't you crave to not have all of that anymore? See, that's what this story is about. That's what these instances are about. Jesus cleansed the temple, both the, at the beginning and end of his ministry, to set the table for the temple's going to be destroyed. It's going to get torn down. This whole world's getting burned up. What I'm consumed about and what I have the true zeal for is the temple of you that's going to carry the Holy Spirit once I'm gone. Now the temple is yours to take care of. And if you aren't going to take care of it, I'm going to come help you cleanse it and take care of it. So what do we take away from this? What do we do? What is it that Jesus wants us to do? The first and foremost thing that Jesus wants us to do is surrender ourselves to him. Just when he cleansed out the temple, it said people came to him for healing. The lame, the sick, the blind. You may be listening to this today and spiritually speaking, you're sick. You're blind. You're lame. And you've been trying to do it on your own and live your own life, but you know there's something not right there. You need to go to Jesus because he wants to take you into his salvation. You need to surrender your life to him. You need to give your life to him so that he can cleanse you and allow the Holy Spirit to abide in you as his earthly temple. That's the first thing. And I'm telling you, there's a life after that that didn't always a rose garden, but a boy. Is it more meaningful than a temple filled with a bunch of clutter that doesn't feel what it's being used for? The second thing is for us that call ourselves believers. Are we truly letting our temple be used as a place for healing and salvation to the sick and the lost? Are we truly letting our temple bring glory to the Father through our life, prayer, and worship? Look, I, I, you guys know my story. I stand here before you that I have not been perfect. There are times when I have found clutter and table changers and things in my spiritual life that needed to be cleaned out. But I'm telling you, God doesn't want to clean it out to shame you. God doesn't want to clean it out to tell you, you're wrong, look at what you're doing. He does those things with such zeal, with such passion and intensity, because he knows what's on the other side. He knows that a clean house, a clean temple, allows for the power of God in us to resonate stronger than we've ever imagined. In fact, there's a book out there. I tried to find it. You could probably Google it. It, it talks about these different rooms that God comes down to visit in our house. 
and he walks through these different rooms. And as he walks through the rooms, he begins to show the owner of the house some things he needs to clean up or change. What's hidden in the closet? What's tucked under the bed? What's behind the couch? How many dirty dishes are laying in the sink? See, what I've tried to teach my kids is this. It's not about just keeping the kitchen clean. It's a sign of we care about our things. We clean them. We put them away. Everything has a proper place. And I, my kids will laugh. They know I get carried away with it. But here's what I know. When you come home at the end of the day and the house is clean and you can sit down, isn't there much more peace and calm? There is for someone like me. But I think you get the point that I'm making. For myself, I ask these questions. What have I set up in my temple that pollute or interfere with authentic, holy worship of my Savior? What have I been using, have I been using God and my time with God as a means to my own end? Kind of like a money changer or a livestock seller. Have I been banking on God just so I could get something in return? Or do I look at worship as a ritual rather than a relationship? I want to ask you today, have you taken time to re-examine your temple? To cleanse it up? To invite Jesus to come in and do the cleaning? Because we can't always do it on our own. And when we invite Jesus to come in and do the cleansing, I promise you, he will usher in things that you could never imagine. A peace, a calm, an opportunity, a promise, and the ability to minister and serve others with him that is life-changing. Twice, Jesus had to cleanse the temple for the Jews. There's two cleansings we need to have. One is eternal, salvation. The once and only cleansing of the Spirit coming into us in submission to Christ our Savior. The second cleansing is continual. Going back to God. What is there in my life? What can I do? so that we will remain clean and being used for his intended purpose. To love our neighbors, love God, and serve people. Let's make sure we're inviting God to keep our temple clean and that we're doing what we can do on our end to keep it clean. Let's pray.